So a few things before we get to the sermon today. Uh, the first is um, something to do with summer. It's obviously summer. We're all in our shorts. I'm preaching in shorts. That usually means it's summer. Uh, and we have a summer youth calendar that is coming up. So if you are between grades 6 to 12, uh, we've done this last few summers. Uh, we have a summer calendar. Uh, they're going to talk about it at youth this Tuesday and uh, send it out uh, via whatever. Uh, and it'll have events every other week uh, throughout the summer. And the whole point of the events is to get together and, of course, to have fun, but also uh, provide an opportunity to engage more with the church. If you have uh, friends who are not plugged into a church, it's a great thing to invite them to. There'll be like beach days and bike rides and hikes and movie nights, all that kind of thing. So look for the youth calendar as it comes out. Uh, it sort of kicks off not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday with a big barbecue. So there's still youth this Tuesday, but big barbecue, uh, whatever day that is, 29th, I think. Uh, another thing, so this is, we do the youth calendar every summer. This uh, we have not ever done. Uh, we are going to do, on July 18th, uh, one big outdoor gathering. So uh, this is an opportunity for the whole church to come together in one place at one time. Uh, it will be out in the parking lot. Uh, we'll do one gathering at 11 a.m., uh, and then hopefully you will bring uh, your lawn chairs. We can sit out, kind of spread ourselves out. Uh, also, hopefully you'll bring some food. We can sit around, have a picnic, uh, not share our food, but eat our own food. And um, the reason we're doing this is because hopefully it will be really fun uh, because we have a giant stage out there that we want to use again. So this seems like a good opportunity for that. Uh, so mark it on your calendar. More details will come out as we get closer. If it's pouring rain, we're not going to do it, but it hopefully will be uh, a fun time to really gather together physically in each other's presence. So one big outdoor gathering coming up. Uh, last thing before we get to uh, the sermon is that today, June 20th, is World Refugee Day. Uh, so you may not realize that, but it's a day set aside by many organizations just to, to raise awareness about the many refugees in our world and even here in Canada. Uh, for the Christian organizations involved with refugees, it's a call to prayer uh, so we can pray for them, and that's what we're going to do. Um, there's a, uh, an organization, a Christian organization in the area, New Hope Community Services. They have put out a prayer guide, uh, which looks like this. Uh, it was emailed out with our weekly update. Uh, you're going to get a chance uh, this week also to look at it. Tough to see on the screen. But I'm going to pray through some of the points here. And uh, so I'd invite you to, to pray along with me if you would. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, we pray for those who have been displaced in our world, Lord. So many of them, millions of them, uh, without a home. I want to pray first of all for uh, the countries that have been affected by war and terror uh, that have resulted in many of these people being displaced. Uh, their homes have been destroyed or it's just not safe, whatever it may be. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would bring peace in the land. We pray that the military conflicts would end. We pray that the, the terror would end. We pray that people would be able to return to their homes, to be able to just exist in their community and be safe. We pray also, Lord, for those who are in between right now. Uh, it's kind of the, the definition of a refugee. You have, have no home, and so they're in camps. They're in various places throughout the world. We pray that you would uh, bring comfort to them. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for the camps that exist to provide some safety, but we know the resources are always slim, and there's such a level of uncertainty about what is to come. And so we pray, please, for all of the stresses, all of the internal battles and, and trauma that they're going through. We, we pray that there would be material help, but uh, most importantly, we pray there'd be spiritual help that in these places they would, they would hear the gospel or draw nearer to you. And uh, we pray the same thing for those that are entering our country. We're thankful uh, to be part of Canada, 
that there is, uh, there is uh, peace, there is safety, there is security, and we're thankful that we are able to welcome in many uh, who are in this situation. I pray for those entering Canada. I pray for organizations like New Hope and those Christians who are at work. Lord, would we, would we as a church care for them well? Uh, would we seek to uh, address their, their material needs? But again, I pray that we would have opportunities to share the love of Christ with them and that this would be a way for them to find uh, true hope, true home in you. And so uh, we pray. We pray knowing that you hear us. We pray knowing that you are at work all over the world and that you love us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So today we are in Luke chapter 12. Actually, we are at the end of Luke chapter 12. Uh, if you've been with us, we've been sort of working through Luke 11 and 12 for the spring. Next week, uh, we are going to be in the book of Psalms. Kind of our summer series is kicking off. Uh, but for today, Luke 12, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, the verses will be on the screen. I want to begin this morning uh, by pointing out uh, one of humanity's many flaws. It's no surprise, it's obvious, that we, we have many flaws. Uh, there are many ways that we can mess up our lives and the world. But the one I want to talk to you about today is our uncanny ability to focus on the wrong things in life to put a lot of uh, time and attention and energy um, into those things which ultimately are not really that significant, and yet at the very same time, to ignore the significant problems in our lives. To turn a, a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to the real consequential things that are going on, and yet we're paying no attention. So I want to give you an example, because it's Father's Day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hammer a little bit on uh, the men, uh, but we're going to from their springboard into all of us. So just, um, just take note of what this example is pointing us to. See, I've met uh, many husbands who are excelling in most every area of their life except for some of their relationships at home. I've met guys who at home, things are just really struggling, especially with their wives. They're just, uh, there's a low level of intimacy, uh, low level of trust, uh, there are arguments that tend to go unresolved for long periods of time. There's really hardly any depth of relationship there, and yet at work, things are going fantastic. I mean, everyone at work would say, this guy's amazing, such a good manager, such a good team leader. I mean, they, they literally lead teams of people through very difficult, complex issues. Uh, they, they help people to resolve interpersonal uh, problems, find resolution, they help their teams persevere through adversity, through difficulty. All these kinds of things lead people to say, man, they so thankful for them in our lives, and yet at home, it's just, it's just the opposite. Now look, we all know that home relationships are more difficult. They're harder. They, they just are. I mean, at home, no one is getting paid. Uh, no one is on their best behavior at home. Uh, no one is getting quarterly reviews or raises, no, that kind of encouragement. So it's always harder at home, but we should also recognize that it is more significant at home. That a job is, is just what we do. But our family is part of who we are. It's part of our legacy. It's, it's significant. And so it's astounding that so many spouses, men and women, will put energy and effort into the less significant aspects of life and yet have their head in the sand when it comes to things that really matter. Why is that? That's really the question that Jesus is going to be asking us today. Why, why is that? Why do we so often miss the most important things in our lives, the things that God really is calling us to pay attention to? 
So what we're going to see in our text is that Jesus um, deals with this, not just for marriage, but really for, for life in general. He goes much bigger and much wider, and he really calls us out, all of us, for paying attention to superficial things rather than looking at the eternally significant problems that are in our lives right now and, and on the horizon of our life. So there's going to be some hard words from Jesus today, words about the nature of our heart, words about the focus of our life, words about the tendency that we have, all of us, to miss what's really important. So imagine that that husband I just talked about uh, has a best friend, and he sees what's going on, he, he knows this man very well, and he asks him out for coffee, and when he gets out for coffee, it's not just chit-chat, this, this best friend really asks some hard questions of this man really identifies some of the things that he sees and kind of gives him a shake and say, look, you got to get your head on straight. you got to pay attention to the things that are important in your life. That, that's what Jesus is doing for us today. It's going to be great. You're going to really enjoy it. But I should warn you, the first two points are very negative. The third one has a lot of hope. Okay, so here's, here's how we're going to work our way through. Three points. Here's the first one. We are hypocrites! Exclamation point. We are hypocrites, exclamation point. And I wouldn't say that except that Jesus says it. And here's, here's where he says it. This is verse 54 of Luke 12. He's speaking to a crowd of people still. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So notice here, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, so not just his disciples, but kind of everyone who's, who's been listening. And as I said, he calls everyone a hypocrite. Why are they hypocrites? That should be the first question. Why are they hypocrites? And secondly, are just they hypocrites, or is he talking to everyone, like to us two today? So first question, why? Uh, let's trace his argument a bit. He begins by talking about the weather. Now, they didn't have Doppler radar back then, but they did know how to interpret the sky. So Jesus describes uh, something here that remains true to this day. So if you go to Israel to this day and you look to the west, you see clouds coming from the west. Uh, it usually means rain. And, and the way we know it means rain is because it's coming over the Mediterranean. So it's bringing moist air with it. Everyone knows that. Uh, if there's wind from the south, it's going to mean heat because the wind's coming out uh, over the desert. So everyone knows that. Everyone knows it means it's going to be scorching hot. So why are they hypocrites for knowing this? Well, it's because what he's saying is they did not apply the same thoughtfulness and effort to figuring out the winds of spiritual change that were blowing at the time. See, they were, there were massive events on the horizon. The cross was about to happen. And the people there were oblivious. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you can interpret the signs of the sky, you should be able to see the signs that God is at work in a major way. But they couldn't see it, or, or maybe they wouldn't see it. So just for a moment, let's think to ourselves, what, what were they missing? What is Jesus saying? What important things should they have been able to see if they just kind of looked at them more carefully? So there's a couple of things. Number one, they should have seen the uniqueness of Jesus. I mean, he's there teaching, so they're, they're obviously there for a reason, but not many people are really considering what he meant. Uh, they, they knew that he could teach well, but if they really would have paid attention, they would have seen a whole bunch of things. Like, man, everyone who met him felt like he was just the most significant person they'd ever met. 
I mean, he, he seemed to know everything about everyone that he talked to. Think of the woman at the well. She went away saying, this man, he told me everything about my life. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they were in conflict with Jesus, they went away saying, no one, no one teaches like him. Like he had such authority. He was morally perfect. Ethically righteous. Every, he always did the perfect thing. He always said the perfect thing. Imagine if we had a public figure today that always did the right thing and said the right thing all the time. It would be amazing. We'd be astounded that, that this could happen. And of course, he did miracles. He, he did miracles full of compassion and power, and he claimed to be divine. What Jesus is saying is, look, all of this should have prompted people to consider, just like they would look at the sky and think to themselves, man, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. They should be looking at him and thinking, man, I wonder what God is doing here. Like, this has to mean something. What could God be doing? Could, could this man actually be the Messiah? They should have been thinking more deeply on a spiritual level. The other thing they should have noticed was the pattern of rejection that God's people had towards prophets. So all through the Old Testament, God's sending prophets to his people. Most of them were rejected by the Israelites, by the Jewish people. And that was happening with Jesus as well. And Jesus, he was reminding them of this. Uh, we saw this in chapter 11. L listen to what he says to the people, or he said back then. He said, woe to you. This is verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to their deed, to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. So what Jesus is saying there is, look, you're acting just like your forefathers. They didn't listen to the words of the prophets. You're not listening to me. And they should have noticed that there was increasing opposition to Jesus. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were all opposed to Jesus, just like, just like the people back in the day with the other prophets. What they should have done is looked at that and said to themselves, man, I wonder if there's something going on here. I wonder if we're missing something, just like our forefathers missed what God was trying to do in their midst. Could it be that God is at work? That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites because they were so confident in their ability in so many areas of life, right, to, to figure things out. But all of those areas were fairly superficial and they were not even interested in, in really figuring out the more significant spiritual cosmic events that were about to unfold, which meant that they were not prepared for any of it. In fact, even after the crucifixion, even after the crucifixion and resurrection, most people were willfully ignorant of, of what it meant. I mean, Jesus appeared bodily to hundreds of people, and yet there were still many, many people that didn't really consider it to be significant. And Jesus knows this is going to happen. Some of the resistance he sees right now, he knows it's going it's to persevere. And in chapter 13, as he arrives in Jerusalem, he, he prophesies over the, over the city, but really over the the people of God at the time. Here's what he says. This is Luke 13, 34 and 35. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what he's speaking there really is a word of judgment upon the people of God at the time. He's saying, you're unwilling to come to me. You're unwilling to heed my warnings, to, to come for, for forgiveness. 
And so what he's saying is, look, you're very proud. You're very proud people that you can prepare yourselves for storms and for scorching heat, but you ignore all that God is trying to tell you about the storm of spiritual judgment that is on the horizon. That's why they're hypocrites. That's why he has such a strong word for them. So the next question, what about us? Is this true for us? Is this hypocrisy still present in the world today? And I think we'd have to say yes. In fact, I think we'd have to say that it's only gotten worse. I mean, hasn't, hasn't humanity gotten better at better at interpreting things that are ultimately unimportant? Like really not that consequential? And haven't we gotten worse and worse at figuring out what is truly significant? What really is of consequence for us, eternally speaking? I mean, think of all the data that we are able to interpret these days. I mean, the weather? Forget about it. We, we got like two-week forecasts. They're not always that great. But we can, we can look at an app on our phone and figure out what's going to happen next weekend because we have complex computer modeling systems that, that can forecast all sorts of things. I mean, storm watches, disease outbreaks, currency collapses. We think deeply and critically about a lot of areas of life and we delight in it. We're so proud of it. Aren't we amazed when Amazon tells us something that we want to buy before we even knew we wanted to buy it? Well, that's amazing. Thank you. We should pay attention to the fact that they're obviously listening to us, which is a bit concerning. But we should be even more concerned about what no one is paying attention to. What no one is thinking about. I mean, is anyone really giving any attention to the state of humanity's soul, to like our, our spiritual health, to God's activity in our, in our world and in our lives? Shouldn't someone be paying attention to what's actually happening to human beings? I mean, there's some indications, right? Some people, those who are tracking levels of anxiety, depression, are telling us it's going up and up and up even before COVID. We can look around and, and see that there's greater levels of fear and distrust in our society, that there's less peace, not just out there in the world, but, but in here. See, what Jesus was saying to the crowd is, look, you're hypocrites. You, you, think, you think you know so much about how to interpret the world around you, but you're missing these significant things that God is doing right in front of your noses. And we are no different. We are no different. The same is true for us, both in our individual lives and in the wider culture. I mean, just think for a moment about what we spend a lot of time on. Think about what occupies our minds and, and our hearts. I mean, there are so many things that we spend a lot of time um, orchestrating, giving attention to. Just, just think about our environment. Everything from the temperature to our music playlists to the things we want to watch to our finances to our vacations to, to our home that's all digitally put together. We can speak and things happen. We can monitor things from remotely our social media presence. We spend so much time on all these things just making sure that ev everything is perfect and yet, very often, we completely miss the significant things that God is wanting to do in our lives. Big things. Things that will really address the issues at the core of our being. He wants to, I mean, he wants to do the things today that he's been wanting to do since the beginning. Which is to grow in us an awareness of sin. It's so easy for us to 
to not see what sin truly is or where it begins in our lives. He wants to grow in us a capacity to be able to see what actions or, or trains of thought are going to lead us away from him, going to lead us away from joy, away from peace. He wants to grow us in our faith. He, he wants to call us to steps of faith where we, we end up doing things or entering into situations where we feel uncomfortable, where we feel unsure, where there's a lot of fear that wells up in us and yet that's exactly where God wants us because he doesn't want us to be secure in ourselves but to be secure in him. There's big important things that he is doing. First and foremost, he wants to grow in us a greater understanding of and, and, and capacity of to, to, to appreciate the glory of Christ. I mean, that's really what he wants. He wants for us to be able to see more clearly who Jesus really is as our Savior and our Lord, Lord over the heavens of the earth, and our personal Savior who knows us intimately. Just think of it for a moment. Do you think there could be some things that you're missing in your life? Like some things that God has been putting on your heart and your mind, the spirit of God, and yet, you know, there's been other things that you've been paying attention to. It's so easy, so easy to be distracted by what else is going on. And so the words from Jesus for that crowd is, is true for us, and I'll read them again. Verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? It's a rebuke from Jesus but a rebuke in love. A rebuke in love because he really does want to help us. And the next thing he says is equally hard, but also equally helpful. He goes from a rebuke to a warning. And he shifts his imagery from weather patterns to a courthouse. So here's our second point. Still negative. We are guilty as charged. We are hypocrites. Secondly, we are guilty as charged. And here it is in the text, verse 57. He says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So the courthouse is, is the scene. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been to a courthouse. I've been a couple of times. Not for me, for other, other people, but I've been there. Um, these words from Jesus, they, they sound a lot like legal advice from a duty council. So if you go to a courthouse, they have lawyers there who are paid by the court just to, to help. If you come in without a lawyer, without representation, you can go to them before your, your trial and they'll look at your case and give you advice, help you to navigate you know, the legal system, which is super helpful. Here, uh, this is what Jesus is doing for us. And, and in fact, it's really clear. We are pictured as being dragged into the courthouse, accused of a crime, about to stand trial before a judge, and then Jesus gives us some very important legal advice. Do you see what he says? I'm just going to read it. Verse 58, he says, make an effort to settle with him on the way. To settle with your accuser. Do you see the advice he's giving? He's, he's telling us, look, you need, to, you need to get a plea deal. You know a plea deal where, where you plead guilty, you're accused of a crime, you plead guilty to a lesser sentence instead of maybe getting 10 years in jail if you were to go to trial, you plead guilty, you get five years. They happen all the time. I mean, all through the, the legal system. But here's the thing about plea deals. They only make sense 
if you are guilty and if there's a strong case against you. Uh, if you're innocent or there's a weak case against you, any lawyer will tell you, well, go to trial. I mean, you're innocent, you want a chance to prove yourself, so all the, all the evidence will be brought before the court, they'll find you innocent, you go, your name is cleared. I mean, that's the best case scenario. If you're innocent, don't, don't get a, a plea deal, but you see, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't tell us to do that because we're not innocent. We're guilty. See, the courthouse being pictured here is not a human court of law. It's a picture of the final judgment, the courtroom of God. And what Jesus is saying really clearly is, look, we are guilty of sin. The evidence against us is very strong. In fact, if, if one of those CSI show teams, right, if they were to come and to investigate our life, if they were to just look at how we are and then have like the commandments of God right here, it would take them like 12 seconds to be like, no, there's, there's a, you're guilty, do not, do not lie, do not cheat, do not lust, worship only God. Look, and they, they wouldn't even be able to look in our minds and our hearts. God will be able to see everything about us. On the day of judgment, fully exposed, it will be very, very clear that the evidence is against us, that we are guilty of crimes against God. And the Bible is not shy about this. The Bible talks about this over and over and over again because humanity, we, we need to hear this. In fact, I want to read to you from Romans chapter 3, which is um, all about the, the very nature of our hearts, which is hard towards God, full of sin. And so as I read this, I'm going to read it at length. Uh, I want you to think not just is all of this true of me, but is any of this true of me? Is this at all describing what is, what is true about me or the, the kind of ways that I have behaved? So here's Romans 3, uh, verses 10 to 18. It says, None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, probably not many of us have had feet that are swift to shed blood. But most certainly, there has been deception on our lips. There's been bitterness on our tongue. We can look behind us at the path we've walked and, and see misery. We can see um, the things that we've done in relationships that have, brought, that have brought hardship. We know for sure that we have not feared God in the way that we should at all the moments of our life. This is testifying to the fact that humanity has gone against God. We've turned our backs, started in the Garden of Eden. It goes to this day. Each one of us is guilty before the Lord. What the Bible makes so clear is that on our own, we have no hope of standing before the God of judgment. We are all guilty. And the consequences are very real. That's also what Jesus says in our text. Look back to verses 58 and 59. Jesus says, the judge will hand you over to the officer and the officer will put you in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the very last penny. Which is another way of saying you will never finish paying off the debt of sin. Hell is an eternal prison for those who have committed crimes against an infinite God. Which is why Jesus is saying, look, you need to settle. You need to plead your case. 
Don't, don't think you can make it to the end of your life and then stand before God and, and give some sort of answer for your life. Point to other people that are worse than you and think that it's going to go well. It's not. He's saying you need to settle. You need, you need a plea deal with God. Some sort of settlement. It's your only hope. And by the grace of God, it's all the hope we need. Because in fact, that's exactly what is available to us by the gospel, by the grace of God, that we might find settlement with God through Jesus. This is our third point. This is the hopeful one. Here's what it says. We can be justified by Jesus. Justified. Uh, that word is a legal term. It, it means to be declared innocent, to be declared righteous. And just as the Bible is very clear about the sin of humanity, it's equally clear about the hope that we have in Christ because of what he has done for us. Look at what it says just a few verses later in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is the hope of the Bible. This is the hope of Christianity that in Christ, our record is wiped clean. In Christ, we don't have to serve any time for our crimes. In Christ, we have the settlement that we need, the hope that we need. Why? Because he propitiated himself for us. It's a theological term, which, which means that he gave himself fully for us, sacrificed himself fully. Why? To appease the justice of the court. To appease the, 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 the just wrath of God. That all of that consequence would fall on him and that we would be cleared. Because we're in him by faith and he has paid the penalty, now we also, our record is expunged. It's the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the whole reason that this entire book was written, the whole reason that Jesus came. In fact, as Jesus is speaking these words, this is what he's going to do. He's on the road to Jerusalem, on the road to the cross. And all of this is what makes the second question that Jesus asked very significant for them at the time and even more so for us. Here's the second question again, verse 57. He said, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Meaning, you're so smart. You're so good at figuring out so much in the world. Can you not see the rightness and the wisdom of finding a settlement with God? Now, for the people at the time, um, they would have, they should have accepted that, but they would not have known exactly how to do that, like how that would work. They could see that they were a sinner. They could see that God was a, a loving, gracious, forgiving God, but how exactly he could forgive their sin and still be just, they would not have known that. But we know very clearly how that is the case. Because it's 2,000 years since the cross. And because we have the testimony of Scripture outlining for us exactly what it meant that Jesus died for our sins, rose again, making clear the law is satisfied and that when we hope in him, we are set free. The question though for us is the same. How can we miss that and yet pay attention to so many other insignificant things in the world? Like how does that happen? The picture that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is I think so much of the time we are like interior designers in a condemned house. And we're just so pleased with the color selection and the new carpet and the new tile. And we know, I mean, during COVID, a lot of us have been renovating things. We've been looking around our own house and being like, I could use some paint. It's not a bad thing. 
It's a good thing to, to freshen things up. I'm doing some at my house. You want things to look nice. That's, that's not a bad thing. But it is utterly foolish to put energy and effort into a building that is not safe to live in. To put a new backsplash up when the whole walls are going to collapse around you. See, what Jesus is saying is the same thing he's been saying for weeks now. If, if you've been listening, he's saying it's foolish to invest in this life only and not think of the life to come. It's, it's utterly foolish to pretend that you are innocent when there's a warrant out for your arrest and the evidence is strongly against you and you know you're guilty. There was a man in a parable a few weeks ago, the rich farmer, and Jesus told the story of him. He had everything he could ever want. The crops were producing plentifully. He had to tear down his barns, build new barns. I mean, he was planning out decades of his life that he was going to enjoy. Everything was going so well. He had done such a good job of orchestrating his life. And yet at that very moment, God taps him on the shoulder and says, you fool. Do you not realize that this night your soul is required of you? And the man wasn't ready. He had spent so much time figuring out all these other things in life, such wisdom, such, such brilliance, such hard work, and yet he had not paid attention to the thing that was truly important. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention to. That's why he says, I'm going to read the question again, verse 56. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? That's what he says to the people. Why, why can't you figure this out? And I think we know the answer. Because our minds and our hearts are filled with so many other things that seem important, but really aren't. We all need to recapture, or maybe capture for the first time, the glory of Christ, a, a true understanding of who God is and who we are in relation to him, that he made us, that he loves us, that we have turned our backs on him and that he is extending a hand of grace settlement so that we might be made right with him. Until that happens, everything else, we're in a condemned building. It's going to fall apart. It's just a matter of time. So look, the application here is, I think, twofold. Number one, uh, if you're listening here, if you're here, if you're, if you're tuning in and you are not a person of faith, then the, the word of Jesus here for you is, look, you are not yet in the courtroom, but there will be a day when you are. It's only wisdom to get yourselves right with God through Christ at a time when you can still receive the mercy and grace and then even enjoy the life that he's giving you in anticipation of that day when you're in that courtroom and you give the only answer that the court will listen to, which is, I am guilty. But Christ has taken my payment. I'm in him. And so I'm justified. Praise be to God. Once that's done, and all the other aspects of life, it, it flows from that goodness. It flows from that fountain of life that is in us through Christ, the Spirit of God himself, helping us in every way. And that leads to the second really point of application. If you have faith, th then here's the thing I think Jesus is saying. When are you going to stop watching the sky? Like, when are you going to stop being so captivated by all these things in the world that have no real consequence. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. When I come up the front stairs and there's a cardboard box sitting on my stoop, man, I get excited. There's something there. It 
it's not usually for me, unfortunately. It's usually for the kids or someone else who's ordered something. But it represents, you know, a potential joy and happiness. Man, I want whatever's in there. Because someone has spent a lot of time clicking and searching and figuring out the exact thing that's going to make their lives better. And we tear it open. We love it. Man, anything in a box, it's, can we not see it's not going to last? It's, it's not going to actually do what we want it to do? That's what Jesus is saying. See, this isn't, this isn't a message where he just wants us to go away feeling bad about our lives, bad about ourselves. He doesn't want us to leave here, right, and be like, I don't know if I should take a root beer. It feels inconsequential. Like, should I enjoy this? How, what do I do? No, he wants us to enjoy every aspect of our life. But what he's saying is he's a good friend. He's saying, look, until you get the important things taken care of, nothing else really matters. It's all just a matter of time before it all comes crumbling down. That's why these are hard words, but words of love. Words of real care for us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't even talk about this. He would just leave us to our own devices, but he doesn't. He speaks these words of truth so that we hopefully, we, we may feel conviction and that we might respond. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Even now, as we transition to a time of, of response or maybe during the, during the week, sometime where you're just in prayer with God, and you can ask Jesus and just say, Jesus, you know, what is it? I feel like I might be missing something. I feel like I might, I mean, I, I feel busy. I feel like there's important things that I'm taking care of, but, but would you help me to see, are there things that you want to do in my life and I just I haven't been listening? I've been so preoccupied with all these things that don't matter. Would you help me? Help me, Holy Spirit, to see the things that are truly important and then help me to respond. Take action. Maybe it's conversations with people in our lives that we really just need to confess sin. We need to talk about things that need to be talked about. Maybe it's just between you and God, whatever it is. To respond to this rightly is, is to recognize we need God's help. Jesus is speaking here because the people on their own, they, they couldn't figure it out. They thought they knew how to figure life out. They couldn't. They were attending to the wrong things. Ask Jesus, say, help me to see what, is, what you're really wanting to do in my life and then be prepared to respond. It may be difficult, but down that road always leads to greater peace, greater joy, greater satisfaction, and greater hope because it's closer and closer to him. And as you draw near to him, your understanding of his glory and his grace will abound and your capacity to be a blessing to others will, will only increase. So I'm going to pray for us. Pray that we have the courage to do this. Pray that even though it's sunny, even though it's great, even though it would be easy to move on from this and kind of forget what God is saying to us, that we wouldn't. That it would come back to us again and again this week and that God would do good work in us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for this word. As hard as it is to hear that we are hypocritical in the way that we live, Lord, you're, you're telling us this because you really love us. And so I pray that each one here, each one that's, that's tuning in, each one that, that is hearing your voice, I pray that we would have open ears and open hearts. I, I pray especially if there are things that you, you've been uh, placing on our hearts and we've been, we've been turning a, a blind eye to it, Lord, may we, may we not. May we actually look directly into the thing you're trying to show us about ourselves. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have those hard conversations, that we would get the important things right by your strength, by your grace, so that we might enjoy all that you have for us in this life and the life to come.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Savior. Thank you for speaking to us about the things that we cannot see. I do pray that you would bless us in every way and that we would glorify you all the more through our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.